Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Toward Wholeness podcast. My name is Richard Dahlstrom, and our desire here at this podcast is to help you take steps toward wholeness in both spirit and soul and body, believing that we're created for wholeness so that we can go out and serve and bless our broken world. And you know, when Paul articulated this prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 about wholeness, it seems interesting to me that he said, I pray that you would be uh, sanctified, uh, in other words, made whole in spirit and soul and body. That wholeness of body has been taken in uh, our American culture sometimes to be a fitness craze and an endless pursuit for the right kind of admixture of yoga and power greens and fish oil to assure that you never suffer any disease. And yet the Apostle Paul is also clear, very clear, that all of us will, over the course of our lifetime, suffer physical afflictions. And whether you're a believer in the Bible or not, or a believer in Paul's writings, the reality that we all know is this, we all die. So we all have to deal with uh, disease and sickness and setback, and at the same time realize that we're invited toward wholeness. And so there's a big question that sets up our time together for our podcast today. How does someone pursue spirit, soul, body, wholeness when they're diagnosed with cancer and they're in their 30s? And how does that affect the entire family system to which this person belongs? I bet that everyone listening knows someone who is facing cancer or has faced cancer, faced a loss, but there's an increasing number a high percentage of people in their 20s and 30s who are diagnosed with cancer. And so I think today's podcast is incredibly relevant because I'm privileged to introduce to you some very good friends of mine, Tim and Alicia Nygaard. Tim is 38. His wife, Alicia, is 37. I've known Tim for 20 years since Tim was in high school, watched him play tennis with my son on the tennis team at, at, at the high school that our kids attended and Tim attended. Tim's been married over 10 years. And I want to welcome you guys. Thank you for being here. And let's begin by telling everyone that you're not only a married couple for 10 years, but that you have children as well. And so maybe introduce those children to us. And Tim is with, with his wife, Alicia, today on the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thank you for the introduction. It's a, a joy to be doing this with you. It makes me smile thinking back that long ago to the tennis team times that we got to spend together early on in my life. And, and now you've, you've known me more than half my life, which is remarkable. And it's, and it's been a, a joy to know you and your family. Um, Alicia's here with me and, and she'll share a little bit about our kids. Super. Thank you. Thank you so much, Richard. It is great to be here and we feel honored to share our story so our three children, uh, Bo is our oldest and he is seven and a half. He'll be eight in August. He is all of our children. We call them spirited. They are energetic and outgoing and curious. Um, and it is never a dull moment around here. So um, he, Bo, let's see, he loves science and math and soccer. Griffin is our, our middle child. He is five and a half and he'll be six this summer. Same, very curious, very energetic. And um, let's see, both boys share a love of Pokemon and Minecraft. 
And uh, then Elle is our youngest. She's our daughter that just turned three. She is a Spitfire and um, a really, really good mix of, of sweet and spicy. <laughs> we feel really blessed to, to have our three kids. You're going to say Bo is a, a fan, becoming a fan of podcasts. And so when he learned that uh, we were going to get to be on a podcast, he was very excited and, and wanted to make sure that we said hello from Bo to all of the people that download and listen to this so that he uh, could share his excitement with all of you as well. Well, and I will say to Bo, thanks for sharing your parents with me for this time so that they can share a little bit of your family story uh, with people because your family story is uh, unusual, but powerful and significant. And so what I'd like to do for our listeners is let let you know as listeners, we're going to walk through a little bit uh, their journey of discovering cancer and then treatment, but I'm going to just ask some questions along the way because it's more than just a clinical treatment. It affects everything, family systems, spiritual life, prayer life, view of God, everything is affected. So let's just start off and either one of you feel free to answer, but talk about your discovery that you had cancer and what it was like learning about that diagnosis. Walk us back to that initial period of time. Certainly. I was diagnosed on February 28th of 2020, the day before I had been experiencing some pain uh, in the right side of my abdomen and went to work. It didn't really subside. And that night before we went to bed, I told Alicia, if, if this pain is still there tomorrow, I, I'm going to go in and get checked out. I'll go to urgent care or something and, and see what's going on. In the middle of the night, our daughter, Elle, uh, who was one at the time, woke up and I went into her room to rub her back. And as I was standing there next to her crib, the pain in my side became so intense that it actually caused me to, to faint. I got the tunnel vision, my ears were ringing and I fell to the ground. Uh, Alicia heard this, came in, called 911 and we had the fire trucks out to our house around midnight, one in the morning. They came in, checked me out. All my vitals were fine. The pain had subsided a bit. I, I you know, I came back to and, and remembered everything. I knew what happened. I knew where I was. They told me that I needed to go in to the emergency room because a pain like this, you know, shouldn't be ignored and, and I need to go get checked out. So we live a few miles from Northwest Hospital. Alicia's brother and sister-in-law came over, watched our kids, and we went to the ER, went in for a CT scan. We're waiting in the room. The ER doctor came in and said, the radiologist has seen some concerning spots in your liver. And from the looks of them, they appear to be metastatic lesions. Uh, mm-hmm. And what that is they spread from somewhere else. So they didn't necessarily originate in my liver. There's a source of the cancer somewhere else in my body. And so I went back up for more scans for my my chest and my pelvis and nothing was seen on those scans to indicate where the source tumor, the primary tumor was in my body, which led the doctor to believe it, it was most likely in my colon. Uh, because the colon would hide uh, something that would otherwise be seen on a CT scan. So we knew at that point that 
I had cancer, which was not what we were expecting to hear when we went in and we were thinking kidney stone, gallstone, something like that, but definitely not a cancer diagnosis. And so it was a, a complete shock. We were blindsided entirely by this. It was 3 a.m. We were, you know, kind of disoriented and, and dreary. And, and to get that news was completely unexpected. And so that was the story of the diagnosis and, and, and learning about a new reality that we were facing of cancer. So this happens frequently to people my age. I mean, I'm in my 60s, right? And I hear stories it's not uncommon at all it's uh it's it's even kind of on our radar when we get our medicare card in the mail we go oh yeah this is a reality as well at least a big much bigger risk now but when you're in your 30s and this happens you're in the like this is the prime of life small children major like this is your career time you're building your life together Alicia, what's it like hearing that as the mom and thinking about uh, all the implications? What happened to you as you heard that? The best way I can describe it is as I sat in the room as he was taken to be scanned and then we heard words like metastatic that, you know, we obviously linked to the thought of cancer. It felt out of body. It felt like, like a movie. I, it sounds a little cliche, but it's true. It feels like um, you're looking in on someone else's life or news or experience. And it was really numbing. We both, um, I distinctly remember shaking and Tim was shaking. It was the physical response to something this huge, dire, you know. Um, We said there were multiple lesions at this point. We didn't know the severity of it, but um, it we knew it had traveled. And so um, having at least a small amount of knowledge about cancer, that's not good. And so, as soon as you know it's traveled, you know it's serious. You may not know a number yet, like stage, right. whatever, but you know it's serious. Yeah. I remember walking out of the room after we had actually made an appointment with oncology for the later that day and seeing a couple in the parking lot that was elderly. And it changed my lens. My lens was changed. I distinctly remember thinking that I want that to be me and Tim someday. Mm, wow. Just a changed perspective of me immediate immediately. Yeah, uh, after learning this, so amazing. Yeah, because up until that moment, there's kind of a tacit assumption that that will be you, and so then you kind of don't notice those couples, and then suddenly you see it, and it's like, whoa, they made it. So interesting. I alluded to it earlier, but uh, Tim, you you played tennis. Ever since I've known you, you've been a sport guy. And, you know, we worked together at Bethany Community Church for a number of years. I, I know you. You're, you don't, there's no debaucherous living. You eat well. I wouldn't call it fanatical by any means. But, but you'd, I guess what I'm saying is you do everything right. Like when you hear, oh, you want to avoid cancer, here's the things, you know, having to do with alcohol and you know, fatty foods and this and this checklist, checklist, exercise, low stress. I feel like you're living the life 
and then you get this diagnosis. How do you process that? Because we do live in a culture, a formulaic culture that says, if you do these right things, this blessing will be yours. And here you are doing the right things. And now you don't have the blessing. Yeah, that certainly was something that was a challenge for me because you do tend to think exercise, good diet, healthy living, that's supposed to mean longevity of life. And I think that, you know, there is some family history on my side of, of colon cancer, but those instances were very, at very old ages, my grandparents, when they were in their 80s. Mm. And so, you know, you, you think like with your car, you know, regular oil changes, regular maintenance, right. your car is going to be forever. Um, if you do that with your body, the assumption is yes. it lives a and so to get a stage four cancer diagnosis at 37, it, it went against that logic, which my brain tends to work that way is, you know, if you do this, this, and this, then this is going to happen. Uh, and so physically, there did seem to be a great deal of unfairness in that. You know, I've never really believed that, that life should just be fair in general. And so there wasn't this big mental hurdle to get over with the, kind of the unfairness idea but the, the physical part of it was, was harder for me because it did seem unfair that at my age and, and kind of the way that I feel like I've treated my body to that point in time was doing things the right way. And then we got this outcome that was wrong. It didn't compute with what I felt like had been going into the care that I'd taken of myself. Wow. Well, you know, uh, as a pastor, I've talked to many people who've encountered cancer and there, there's a, such a wide road of both initial responses and subsequent responses for every party. But that those initial responses have ranged from, see, this proves to me that there is no God because life is random and cruel, to if there is a God, this he or she better heal me or else, you know, I'm going to just rage against God forever to... Oh, well, I hope there's a God because I've never prayed before, but it's time to pray now, you know, and to, oh, this is drawing me to God. And like, where are you on that spectrum? And then my follow-up question, and feel free to just continue on, is I know that uh, it's not static. Like if you're clinging to God, you're not clinging to God 24-7. You go through, there's hills and valleys. So on that spectrum of response and then walking that journey, uh, what has been your response and experience vis-a-vis uh, -vis spirituality and relationship with God? So I remember the first thing that I said when the doctor had come in uh, and told us the news. I held Alicia's hand and I said, it's going to be okay. God's going to help us through this, whatever it might be and whatever it might look like. And it's going to be different every day, but God's with us. And that has been constant through all of this. There's been a ton of ups and downs and good days and bad days. And those are just things that, that come with life. And I think have just been amplified through this journey that we've been through. I think for me personally, the biggest things that have stood out spiritually through this and that have really sustained me have been 
the idea of this being a time not just of physical struggle, but spiritual struggle and most of all spiritual transformation. I think that the darkness that comes with a diagnosis like this is what and where transformation comes from and learning who God is calling me to be and and who I'm going to become through this. And I think that without embracing and accepting that darkness and that struggle, I wouldn't otherwise know what that transformation is and, and, and who that person is going to look like, who God's calling me to be, what the, what the light is going to be on the other side. We've, we've been meeting with the chaplain at, at SCCA just about once a month through all of this. And, and she's been fantastic with the idea of that learning to embrace that darkness. She introduced us to uh, Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. And the idea yes. of grappling with darkness and light and allowing there to be space for that darkness because without it, you don't appreciate the light or you don't realize the light. You know, if you, if you bring light into darkness, all you see is light. And so the, the idea of, you know, your, your soul and your, your heart kind of has two sides. There's space for darkness. And if you try to deny that or suppress it, you're, you're denying yourself wholeheartedness. And so learning to learn from that struggle and learn from that darkness helps you realize that transformation is actually happening and God is at work and he's showing you who he hopes that you'll become and how he will use you to be light through a struggle like this. Uh, and so that's been profoundly impact on me uh, through this. And, and then the other, the other thing that has really taken on a new meaning and a new sense of realness is, is the idea of the body of Christ. And we have had a tremendous response from our church community, our friend community, our family, people we don't know who have prayed for me by name every day that have never met me. Um, people from, from Bethany 20 years ago, Richard, that would, mm -hmm. I mean, you it would bring you to tears if I shared some of the names of people who have sent cards, text messages, contacted my parents. We're praying for Tim, um, and it's the body of Christ at work, man. It's it's uh, an amazing thing, and has just lifted us up in a way that we hadn't experienced before, and maybe otherwise wouldn't have yeah. um, if it weren't for going through something like this. I, two things I want to say before I want, Alicia, I want you to answer if you would the same question a little bit, but uh, I hope that everyone listening goes back and listens to that answer again. I just, it brings me to tears, honestly. It's, there's so much that's profound in there about embracing seasons and willing to live with both the darkness and the light. And I say it's profound because I, I, I fear that in our culture, we're almost addicted to the light in a sense. Like we, we don't know what to do with, with sorrow or valleys. Uh, and these places have gifts in them. They're hard, they have gifts in them. And you've articulated that so beautifully. Alicia, meanwhile, in some ways, it may be harder from some of my pastoral conversations to be the one not having cancer. Uh, you're holding a lot together and supporting and needing still to be fed yourself and still married. And still having your own desires for intimacy and all of that 
How has this been this journey for you? And what is what have you learned along the way about God and your own soul? Yeah, I think that um, has not been easy. Uh, I'll start with that. I'll acknowledge that for sure. Um, this has been an ongoing conversation between the chaplain and, you know, when Tim and I go into his chemo treatments, uh, we always really desire that time with her because it does, it, it forces us to, to look, to acknowledge that darkness when sometimes life is, daily life is so busy that you can be feeling that you don't actually verbalize it or put it into words. And there's um, a lot of value in that. And I think we, we leave there feeling like, oh, we got chemo and a therapy session. Um, <laughs> know that she's filled us in that way and almost kind of brought us out to have those conversations that do feel really hard too. So I would say that with spirituality in this season, I would say just like you had said, it's not static. I believe that God really has, I've lived in this season where he's, he really has met me where I'm at. And if I'm having a day where I am immensely filled with fear and just overcome with with fear of the future, he, he's met me there. And it's not, a, um, I have felt divine grace that whatever I'm feeling um, and whatever I need to work through or whatever conversation I need to have to help me, I've, I have felt um, a peace and, and um, even in the deep struggle and even in the days that are, were really dark and really hard, I would speak to feeling God's presence in those really hard conversations with our oldest where he asked questions I never thought a parent I would have to answer um, about the realities of what was going on. And I know many parents in this time are answering that about COVID, right? It's, I mean, sure. these are big things that children have right now. And um, I'm a teacher, so I hear it as a teacher and, but specifically more geared towards Tim and, you know, their own father. It's, um, those were dark conversations for me to be brave through. And I felt I would kind of subconsciously pray in the moment, like, God, give me these words to respond because I don't know yeah. what to say to my child. But I felt the presence. And then on the flip side, you know, I think on days when we got great scan results or we saw a lot of forward progress with Tim, um, he's there in that too. And there in the light and providing that continued peace for us. And um, we weren't guaranteed that this is the way that Tim's body would respond to treatment. And starting out, you know, that's the that's the most fearful part of this, right? Is you don't know how his body will respond um, or right. how it will to those initial chemo treatments that was filled. You know, we were filled with fear on that. And then I think each stage that Tim responded well or had a successful surgery, um, it just helped, it helped immensely to move on to that next portion of treatment. So yeah, it ebbs and flows for sure, but I feel different. I've seen a difference in Tim, um, spiritually and yeah, it's been quite the journey. That's really, uh, I really appreciate that. I think the understanding often in evangelical churches has been, you know, you go to church, you hear a sermon, you take notes, changes the way you think a little bit, and then you you kind of apply that different thinking to life as if you've gone to a math class and now you know how to figure out how long it takes to get to Spokane or something. But in reality, the Christian life is not like that. The Christian life is like learning to 
run a marathon or learning to build a house or learning to ski or something. And the, you cannot learn it in a textbook. It can only be through life. And so for you to see God as provider, to see God as a healer, to see God as a comfort, uh, we don't know God as healer until we're sick. We don't know God as provider until until God meets needs and needs that we didn't even know that we had, you know? So you have blessed all of us through this journey because we see that transformation too. And your understanding of God hasn't just changed. Your understanding of God has changed you. And, and that is the great, one of the great takeaways here. You had alluded, Alicia, to, uh, hey, we didn't know how these treatments were going to turn out. We are now, I don't know, 15, 16 months out beyond the initial diagnosis. Where are you guys at now in your journey? As far as the, the physical journey, things have gone very well. We met with our oncologist, you know, a day after I was diagnosed and, and she told us, here's what I would like to do. And here's the plan I have. And really, for the most part, we haven't had to deviate from that plan almost at all. So I had 10 rounds of chemotherapy, really good response to that. I had a major surgery to remove part of my colon. Then it was back to more chemotherapy. Then another major surgery to remove two thirds of my liver. And it's been more chemotherapy since then. And now we are right at the end of the treatment part of this. I likely have one round of chemotherapy left and then we'll move on to remission and keeping a, just a really close eye on, on my body, regular blood work and CT scans and colonoscopies and making sure that we never get blindsided by this again. We live with the realization that recurrence is possible um, of course, you know, when you go through stage four cancer and it, it was as widespread as it was in my liver, you know, the, the first scans of my liver looked like Swiss cheese. There mm. was almost more cancer than there was good tissue in my liver, mm. which going back to the previous question was, and I still had complete liver function, no symptoms of, of any, that anything was wrong. Wow. Uh, you see a picture, uh, and your liver looks nothing like what it's supposed to. Mm. Um, but we're very close to the end of, of this part of the journey of treatment and surgeries and, and moving on to a new journey of living in remission and, and realizing that I'm right now healthy, uh, but that could change. Wow. It's nothing's promised, uh, nothing's certain with this. The doctors can't say, you're good. This is never going to come back. They can't say that, you know, this is going to come back at some point. We don't know. And so living each day, celebrating a, a huge victory, really, of, of getting through this phase and, uh, and then just taking it one day at a time from here. You know, and one last question, but what you say reminds me of what uh, uh, we preached, uh, several of us at Bethany, just a couple of weeks ago, we're going through this book of James. And there's this passage in James where James, the author, says, come now, you who say tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and we will buy and sell and do this and that. And then James goes, you don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, you know, we preach it. But I kind of think until you have had a major disruption from your anticipated plan in life, you don't know what that passage in James means. It's just words to you. But you guys have had the disruption. 
so that now you are literally living day to day in the best possible way and finding some joy in that. And that, that is a gift that comes out of this, I think. And, and hopefully we can learn from you, which does bring me to my last question. Paul says in St. Grillian's that the re- one of the reasons he suffered was so that he could share with others who have suffered or others who were suffering similarly. And so I'm, I'm wondering uh, what you would say to an individual or a couple of family similar in your situation who gets diagnosed in the prime of their life with a seriously life-threatening disease, what words would you have for them? Wow. I think that I would tell them um, as much as you can, take it one day at a time. Live every day to its fullest. And whether that is a bad day and you just need to live that day in a place of darkness or whatever it might be, or it's a good day, take that day as a, as a blessing and something that, or, or the only thing that you know you have that day. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, we, we've learned that, that nothing is certain, nothing is promised. And a very, very real lesson of just how little control we have in life, uh, if any. And so that would certainly be the, the first thing that I would, I would say. I think from a, a, a physical standpoint, if you're a young person facing something like that, and, and it's something that our doctors told me was, you know, use your youth to your advantage. She, you know, our, our colleagist said, you're young, you're healthy, you are equipped to fight something like this. Mm. Uh, as, because of the way that you've taken care of your body to this mm-hmm. point, you know, you, yes. you receive this cancer diagnosis, you, you're dealing with something that logic says you shouldn't have to right now, but you have the capacity within your body to endure chemotherapy, endure surgeries. So use your, use your youth and your mm-hmm physical body as it is now to your advantage. And then something else we learned, and it's something else the oncologist shared was, uh, as silly as it might sound, don't Google anything. Uh, and, it's, and not to say don't ignore the facts of you know, what your reality is. You know, it's not like we pretended I didn't have stage four cancer, but my case is unique to me. And because of my age, because of other than the cancer, my overall physical condition was good. I didn't fall into the traditional statistics of, uh-huh. right? I'm not a 70 year old man with a very sketchy health history. Yeah, uh, exactly. I don't fit the mold. And so don't look at those things because that can be a, a really slippery slope of, of going to a place that's not healthy uh, that's not going to bring <laughs> wow. light or transformation. It's just going to scare you. And so, you know, those, those are a couple that the internet could be damaging to one's soul. I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no, Alicia, you have a word. Uh, yeah. And I just think from caretaker perspective point of view, I think my advice from a caretaker role is um, to, say yes to to the help and to 
the body of Christ and to utilize. It's something I've gotten really good at is just saying yes and accept the dinner, accept the meal train, accept the ways that people can show up because people love to show up and they love to help. And so, and one thing that Tim and I have learned is just the image of God, God's love for us through our parents and the sacrifices they've gone through this year um, during mm. the pandemic to show up for us and our siblings and our all of our nieces and nephews. Everyone has sacrificed to make sure that we receive the best care that we can. That I from the kids for my mental health and um, and and just your own self care as a provider, like just as a caretaker, right? That therapy and I have a spiritual guide and, um, you know, but people in my life really advocating for me to take care of myself as well has kept us um, going on this, but it's immensely important to, to say yes to community. And, and we, it brings us to tears every time we talk about yep. the way we've, the ways we've been loved. So that's a really good word. And, just in wrapping up, I mean, in 40 minutes, which felt like 10 minutes to me, we've covered grief, hope, healing, trust, living day to day, authenticity, vulnerability, humility of receiving help. And uh, that's this journey. That's this journey. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. But it's a reality in our world, and and I think of there's a, a song whose title I can't remember, but one of the phrases is that God takes angry things, ugly things, and makes them kind. Wow, that's to me a summary of your journey. Good things have happened in spite of, and it shows how God can use things to make this world beautiful. I want to thank you guys for your time and investment. I know that you're available and willing to, people, you know, want to talk to somebody directly. You've already expressed an, uh, an interest in availability. You can contact them through contacting the Spiritual Body website, and we'd be happy to point you in Tim and Alicia's direction. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we look forward to being together next time on the Toward Wholeness Podcast. See you then.